just to start with, could you just introduce yourself in your own words and the work that you do with the push and externally? Yeah, um, my name's Daniel Bailey. I'm an associate director at the Bush. Primarily, my work is around um, new writing, new work by theatre makers. Uh, but I work across the board in, in, in many different um, genres and formats, so TV, film, but primarily theatre. I mean, obviously, the impact of COVID on the arts and theatre has been devastating. Uh, on the most part how has the bush been coping and how like the team and artists kind of getting on during this time um yeah i mean covid uh, came around and kind of um just hit us for six so i think the whole in the industry as a whole is um it's been quite a, a few revealing things about the industry and how we want our industry to be when we come back so i, I think that's the positive so i'll start with that um we have an opportunity now, I guess, as makers of theatres, as, as, you know, um, people who are influential within theatre to, to change what theatre is for the rest of our nation and, you know, globally as well. So we've been afforded an opportunity by Corona, but also with that comes, um, you know, the devastating effects of people losing their jobs, people um, having to move careers, um, of people having to rethink the whole strategy of how they survive in this industry that is already a difficult industry to survive in. Apologies, you, um, I'm not too far from an RAF base, so you might hear some over um, some overheads. But yeah, we've it's been difficult. The bush, uh, it's been really difficult because we are family, and not being able to see your family is really really hard. Individually, everyone's taking it in their in their own ways, but we're working towards um, opening reopening. And um, just being reunited with family again. So that's another positive, I guess. It must be so hard. It is, but, you know, we, we do as much as we can. I, I went to go and see one of my colleagues the other day. Um, I've seen Annette since. We've been in lockdown quite a couple of times. So, you know, we make effort to, to see each other and to be in each other's presence or, you know, to look out for each other outside of work as well. Um, so could you just introduce the protest series and how that came about? Yeah, the protest is um, six reactions to the, the killing of George Floyd and numerous other black people um, in the diaspora uh, in the US, you know, abroad and home. So um, myself and Lynette spoke maybe the weekend before and we just wanted to find a way for us to, um, to, to contribute to the, you know, the, the large voice that is sweeping the world at the moment which is you know black lives matter movement and also just black people in general having a voice and at this point in time being able to, to express themselves so we wanted to we wanted to respond or, or react and um this was kind of birthed out of that conversation um there, there was an idea that was floating around my head about protesting and at the time you know i've got i've got a little son and um and you know with asthma myself i was like i'm gonna go and protest but how do I do that? How do I respond as an artist? So, we, you know, we went back and forth. We thought about the artists that we support already, artists that um, deserve a platform and we wanted to give a platform to and have various um, uh, differences in, in, in how they might re respond to things. So through that conversation, we kind of picked our six artists 
we got in contact with them. And I mean, the turnaround was so quick. We got in contact with them. I asked them to respond. I gave them a provocation. They responded to it. We had a conversation about it. And before you know it, there was six pieces of um, work that came out from that. So how was the response to the series? How was it received? Since that's come out, the the noise around the Black Lives Matter movement has kind of, it's become a little more quieter. How do you think artists can keep that momentum going at a time when it's you know so vital for it to keep going? Well, our presence is a, is a major thing. Just us being present in all of these other conversations about how we restructure theatre. This I'm going to use theatre as an example because it's, it's my medium. Yeah. But how we how how we find ourselves present in those spaces as um, artistic directors, as um, associate directors, as uh, executive directors, producers, writers, actors. How we keep continually putting ourselves. Sorry, my son's um, having a field. But how we continue to put ourselves in those spaces and make sure that we are recognised for our talents, but also we bring those stories to those spaces. So I think it's important that we we have it in our conscious and in our in our minds in the forefronts of our heads that we, as much as we might make work that you know, might not have anything to do with Black Lives Matter. That whenever we do have the opportunity to bring it up and and and, and um, present that work that we do and that we don't back down from that. So we can you know, we can be a force um, because that's what we primarily, what we do is create and we create from a place of emotion a lot of the time. So emotionally, we're still being affected by this. We continuously, be, uh, we're continuously affected by these, these, these issues. So we have that in our hearts. We're going to make work that kind of represents that and speaks those, um, you know, speaks volumes. So I think that, yeah, first and foremost, it's about the work that we create and, and who we have in those spaces that, can then um, champion or enable other black artists to do the same thing. Yeah, and practically, like, what what do you think that looks like in kind of theatres outside of the bush, like more kind of like bigger theatres like the National and like the Old Vic? Like, how does that come That's about? That's a good question. That's <laughs> a really good question. <laughs> I'd love to. I'd love to have a strategy and sit and, and go for a strategy with them, but. Whether that had happened is another thing. They're probably being consulted anyway by um, other partners. Um, but how can that happen with places like the Old Vic? I think they need to start from their own internal understandings of what racism is, what systematic racism is. So it's a, it's a process. It's a really long process of, of, again, you know, being conscious of who they are and how their um, privileges stop um black and brown people from being part of their um, their organizations and staff and structures. So I think that is the beginning. It's about confronting, it's about confronting your demons and um, they need to do that. And sometimes it's hard for you to do that by yourself when you don't know that it exists. So it takes someone like myself, someone like yourself to be there and say, look, here's a mirror, look at yourself. And once you've done that and you understand that, now let's move on and understand how we can then change your staffing structures. Because the minute you, bring in black and brown people um, who have that substance. And I, and, I, and I have to stress that black and brown people that have that substance, because as we've seen in the government right now, there are black and brown people who don't have that substance. It means it perpetuates the same ideologies that, that, that kind of stop us from progressing. But having those black and brown people that, that, um, that, that have that substance, they're there. They're, they've been fighting for a long time. They exist. They've been making art for a long time. It's about listening to those voices and playing those voices, making sure that they're well resourced, and then um, 
yeah, you will see a turnaround in the work that gets produced, in the audiences that come through the door, in the response. Um, you know, we're a global majority here. And if you want to be global, then you need to be looking at us. You need to be asking us the questions about how we appeal to our own brothers and sisters across the, you know, across the pond or wherever else. So, yeah, there's, there's, there's a strategy there. I can't give away all my tricks, but um, there's a strategy there. Um, and it'll be good to talk to, to places like Old Vic and how they might be able to integrate that into their own thinking. I mean, you kind of touched on it, but in terms of audience as well and accessibility, how do we get kind of black, Asian and people of colour filling the seats in, in theatres, you know, whether it's because of like um, demographic or social class reasoning or anything, how do we kind of make theatre accessible in that way? Well, I think, you know, to, to make theatre accessible for, like specifically for black and brown people, mm again we need to address the structures that are in place you know when i was 16 years old i didn't want to go into the national theater i had no plan on going in there my 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 um tutor who was a black woman bought us these tickets to see this play and once i got there i was like yo this isn't for me and i was so adamant that i wasn't going in there you know she, she used some jedi mind tricks really she used the kind of um the black power that, that women have and she kind of just you know convinced me to go in and you know I had the best experience of my life but had she not been there I probably wouldn't have gone in and so it, it requires strong minds to um to kind of steer us in that in that direction and um work that represents us I mean that sounds really simple but if you don't have work that represents us more than likely we're not going to come you know why would we go and see things that don't represent us or don't resent or, or don't um genuinely represent a, a point of view that doesn't mean that the whole play needs to represent us it means that if you have a black or brown person person of color in your play that they are given the voice of that black and brown person do you know what I mean? they're given the, they're given the voice the voice of that actor and that it's not just a, a kind of whitewashed idea but they're coming in with with um you know things that are relevant to us and that they're well portrayed so i think that's the starting point and it's about commissioning you know and the voice is easy because we commission black and brown artists all the time so we know that it's representative of the people well you know we do as much as we can to make sure that the, the you know the, the play that goes on or the piece that goes on represents a a um a community or two or you know however many intersections and do you remember what the play that you saw was the national yeah, yeah yeah of course i'll never forget it yeah the play that i saw was um, His Dark Materials. So it was an adaptation. Um, you know, later on, the film became mm. and it was a BBC series. But it was His Dark Materials and it was, a, you know, it, was a, it was a brilliant play. You know, as a story, it was fantastic. As um, a set piece, it, it, was, it was innovative. And they had this one black character in it. Or, yeah, it was a black man who played a white polar bear. Um, but he, you know, I could tell, you could hear it in his voice that he was that he was a black person. Mm. I just remember seeing him on stage, and he was fantastic. It was Danny Soprani, but he was he, he was amazing. And as a sixteen year old, you was like, oh wow, this is what it means to be, you know, um, on the stage doing your professional work. This is what it means to be a professional. And that was quite inspiring, actually. So I needed to see it. Was that kind of a pivotal moment for you? Or yeah, for sure. Because I, I, you know, I'd, I'd been to the West End with my school, 
that was a school trip. And then after that, I hadn't really been to, to much um, theatre. I hadn't gone to any theatre, really. I'd seen theatre amongst my friends in school. I'd seen little local things, but I'd never, ever gone to a you know, professional theatre and seen the work that they produced. So at that point in time, when I was seeing all these suits and you know people that were middle-class, um, high echelon kind of aristocrat, you know, you, you, you kind of think about the, the most um, stereotypical, um, the most stereotypical people. And um, that's who I was seeing going into this building. And then suddenly, there's me you know, dressed in a tracksuit with a, with, a, with a moped helmet. And then I'm like, I'm not going in there. But it was, it was a big moment. Because Sabrina made us, her, her name was Sabrina Wilson, who's my teacher. She made us go in there. And it wasn't just me, it was a couple of others, but she made us go in there and we had the time of our lives. Um, so it was a big moment. And from that moment, I was like, I'm going to go back to the National. I'm sure, 100% going back to the National. And I did. It took me about 10 years, I think, but I, I ended up going back. Yeah, maybe about 10 years after. Actually, yeah, exactly 10 years. I mean, I guess it's just about getting people through the door, getting people just into the performances initially and then you know going from there that's the first step literally <laughs> and then finally what advice would you give to aspiring theatre makers of colour uh, in getting into the industry or what advice would you have given to yourself when you were you know 16 stepping foot into the national um I, when I was I, I took a, a kind of hiatus I went on to be a youth worker when I, after you know after going to um, university to study drama. I went, I went and became a youth worker because I was thinking about going to teaching. So I would definitely say, you know, as a 21-year-old, as, as a 16-year-old, or as a, an 18-year-old, I'd say, look, focus on the thing that you want. Um, truly understand what it is that you want. It can be a number of things, but just make sure that you have that in your mind, in your mind's eye. So I didn't know, I didn't know I could be a director. Had I had researched that at 16, that was something that I might have committed to much early on in my process. So having your mind's eye, what it is that you want to do? Ask questions to those people. Don't be afraid to send emails or to just rock up. I, I did a lot of things where I just turned up on people's doorsteps. Not literally their houses, but, <laughs> but their doorsteps. Um, and then was like, oh, I want to speak to XYZ. He runs this department. And they were like, yeah, cool. What is it about? And because I knew exactly what I wanted to do, I was like, it's about directing. And sometimes they'd be like, they're busy, or they'd be like, oh, yeah, they're coming down now. They have, you know, they've got five minutes to chat. And that meant that I was not only seen by them, they, they took me a bit more seriously. So I knew when I was coming back to them in two years' time to offer them a show or to do a workshop or whatever it is, they knew about me already. So um, having your mind's eye, what it is that you want to do, focus on it, research, and then don't be afraid to contact those people and just ask for advice because they're, you know, people are always willing to give advice. Advice is free. You shouldn't have to pay for it. It's better, it's better than university because you get not only the, the, the advice, but sometimes you get an experience. Like you fully get the experience, which is much more valuable than, you know, writing a, writing a, a theory-based thesis, you know, thesis or, or whatever. Um, so I'd, I'd also... Um, encourage uh young makers to to make their own stuff if you sit waiting for a big building like even the bush if you sit waiting for bac if you sit waiting for the young vic the old vic you sit waiting for the national the chances are you'll be sitting for a long time in order to make noise you need to do your own stuff 
So when you're throwing down your portfolio, when you're talking to them about the work that you produce and, you know, your aesthetic or your, you know, your uniqueness, you have something to back it up. Even if it's a 10 minute piece, even if it's a five minute piece, if you've done it, you've made it, if you can record it, great. But if you've made it, you have that confidence to go in to be like, I've got experience. I've done this thing. I don't just need to be part of your initiatives, but I need you to consider me as, you know, as a, as a new emerging director or a new emerging theatre maker or writer. And uh, yeah, it just helps your case that little bit more. What's next for the bush? What's kind of, have you guys made a plan for the next few months? Yeah. So uh, I think we have a um, announcement on Friday, if I'm right. I should know this. But um, for the first few weeks of us reopening, we're going to focus much more on our community work, the work that we do with our community associates, um, you know, local, the local people of, of, of Shepherd's Bush and uh, West London. So we'll be doing um, workshops with young people, 14 to 17, where they can come and um, learn for free, really, about how we, how we make theatre. So acting, directing, playwriting and dance. Um, and then we'll start to think about a programme for autumn. Um, hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, everything goes well and we're able to open our building up to the public soon. We'll be looking at um, projects that we're doing with our Project 2036, which is um, our free Black and Asian um, designers. So we'll be looking at uh, how we can expand that project to um, more freelancers, because that's another thing we're really focused on is, is making sure that we're supporting freelancers financially. Yeah. And these other bits and bobs popped in, but I, I can't yeah. really talk about them just yet. <laughs> that's fine.